first chapter of Matthew's gospel, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Rejoice, church, for Emmanuel shall come. He has come. He will come again. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do enter into this season of Advent with a spirit of joyful declaration, knowing that you have sent your Son to demonstrate your, the fullness of your love. And so, God, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship together now, as we come to your word, that once again, your love would be poured out into our hearts, and it would change us and mold us and shape us and give us the joy that comes with knowing you. We thank you so much, Father, for who you are. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you all. You may be seated. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, thank you for the children's ministry and leading us in this baby dedication. Just a great way to kick off the Advent season. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Say amen if you had a good Thanksgiving break. Amen. Too quick, though, right? Man, uh, just flies by. But it is exciting because that means that we have entered into uh, the Advent season, this is our first Sunday in Advent, and uh, you heard Caroline reference several things uh, that are on the horizon for us as a church family. I'm going to review a few of those things today with the mindset of uh, our theme for the Advent season. Our, our theme this year is really very simple. It's uh, the love of God. Uh, and, and when you think about where we're headed in Romans chapter 8, if you're familiar with that chapter at all, you know that there's this great um, declaration in this climatic moment where Paul really elaborates on the fullness of God's love, that nothing separates us from God's love. And I think the Advent season is such a powerful reminder uh, of the fullness of that love and that nothing separates us from the love of God. So that will be really kind of the focal point uh, for our Advent season is really reflecting upon the love of God. And part of the way that we want to do this throughout the upcoming weeks is, is to show the love of God to our community, to one another, and just in, in worship. And so a lot of the things that you heard referenced earlier and some of the things that uh, we have on the horizon, I want to elaborate on a little bit just to kind of accentuate the importance that, that these things are so that they're not just um, things we're putting on a calendar to fill up the season, but really an opportunity for us to show the love of God during this time. You heard the toy drive referenced earlier, and hopefully you've seen the Christmas trees there outside of the Welcome Center, uh, some at the uh, preschool suite that have ornaments uh, where you can go up and take an ornament and get a specific reference to a child uh, where you can buy a gift and then bring that gift back before December 7th. We're, we're doing this in partnership with Seminary Hill Park Elementary. Uh, the principal there at Seminary Hill Park Elementary has a goal to make sure every child in their school receives at least one present this year. And they did this last year, and when they told us about it, we said, man, we would love to be a part of this as a church family. And so uh, this is a way for us to partner in that. And so if you grabbed just one of those ornaments, this is going to be a, a really meaningful way for us to show the love of God to the community. And so I would encourage you to make sure you grab one of those uh, this Sunday and, and make sure that you have the opportunity to bring one of those gifts before December 7th back up here to the church so we can get it to the school. And another thing that we do for our community on a regular basis that I want to remind you of is the food distribution team. And, and we, we do this throughout the year. We do this on a weekly basis. But this is a particular season where we really try to demonstrate 
the love of God. Coming off of the Thanksgiving season, what you may not be aware of is that when we go into the Thanksgiving break, we have those uh, deliverers and the, the grocery uh, drivers and the food sorters. We pack extra food that has a lot of the traditional Thanksgiving meals uh, or, or uh, dishes and sides that people enjoy during this time of year. And we also include a gift card so that families can go and purchase a turkey. And uh, just speaking last week with one of our, our drivers, she came up to me and she said, you know, out of like three out of four of the families that I got a chance to see when I delivered these groceries, uh, three out of four of them, their eyes just filled with tears because they were so grateful for our church and our generosity to try to love them during this time. And we'll do something similar uh, for Christmas. We're going to include some gift cards for those families along the way as well so that they can help provide Christmas to their, to their homes. And this is, again, targeting a lot of those uh, neighborhoods and those families there in the Seminary Hill Park Elementary School area, as well as Morningside Apartments and anybody that calls into our church. So those are all ways that we try to tangibly express the love of God to the community during this time. We also try to just show love to one another. You, you think about all the celebrations that we have on the horizon with uh, youth parties and college parties and the Over 50 Fellowship gathering together for the Fort Worth City Band and Jingle Jam for younger families and the children's ministry. Those are gonna be great opportunities for us to gather together in just that spirit of joy and love and celebration as a church family. Uh, that obviously has kind of a focal point there on December 18th with Hope Was Born. Uh, it's something that we started right at the beginning of the pandemic, and we've, we've loved being able to do that year in and year out since then. And uh, we're going to do it a little bit differently as we provide two different shows this year, one I think at five and one at seven or around that time. And we'll have some great events and, and things in between. So you can invite friends and family. You can come to the first show and stay after. You can come uh, to the carnival thing that we're going to do beforehand and then stay for the show afterwards. But we would love for you to mark that down on your calendar as that will be another way for us to gather together as a church family and just celebrate again the love that God has given us through Jesus and the hope that comes with his birth. Now, uh, the main thing, obviously, is Christmas Eve service and then Christmas Day. One of the reasons I'm going over this calendar is so you can anticipate what Christmas Day is going to look like. Our Christmas Eve service will be the same as it typically is. I believe we're, we're going to convene at 5 p.m. that evening and have a wonderful opportunity to come together and share in the Lord's Supper and sing Christmas carols. Uh, but then we are going to have church on Christmas morning. One of the things is, when I, when I first started here, the first Advent that I had at the church was another Advent season where Christmas fell on Sunday. And I remember the conversation then. Everyone was like, well, are we going to have church on Christmas morning? And uh, the answer is yes, we're going to. And as I was telling uh, my kids just the other day about this, this is to me such a great opportunity when we have Christmas fall on a Sunday to remind ourselves what Christmas really is all about. As, as fun as it is to open presents, uh, and as fun as it is to spend time with families, as I was telling my, uh, my daughter the other day, uh, at the end of the day, we celebrate Christmas for Jesus. And so we're going to church. Now, just so you all know and can plan accordingly, it's going to look different that day. We won't have any of the other Sunday morning activities before the 1030 service. We'll keep the service at the same time frame at 1030. Uh, it's going to be shortened. It's not going to be your typical length. We're aiming for about 45 minutes to an hour. We'll gather around the piano and, and uh, sing a few more Christmas songs. We'll read the Christmas story, have a short devotional thought or two, and then pray together so that folks can then go wherever they need to be uh, with their loved ones, whatever else you may have planned on that particular day. So you can show up in comfortable clothes. It'll be different, uh, but it will be meaningful and something that we still want to accentuate and make space for uh, because, after all, that is 
what Christmas is truly all about, is for us to gather together and worship Jesus. So wanted you all to have a little bit of an overview of those things as we head into this exciting time in our church life and on uh, this Advent season. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to use Romans 8 as a guide through all of it, uh, because Romans 8 ends in that place where we really have an opportunity to celebrate the love that we have in Jesus. And we've been using Romans 8 as a guide really for the last several weeks. And I would encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there this morning, because we're going to finish off our discussion uh, in terms of the ministry of the Spirit. If I can kind of give you a little bit of a recap of some of the things that we've talked up to this point, talked about up to this point, is that you go back to Romans chapter 7, and Paul introduces the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. But chapter 7 really dedicates itself to, to wrestling with the challenges of the flesh and all the things that we don't want to do in, in the, the, the impulses of the flesh. But when you get to chapter 8, that's when you begin to see what it looks like to live life not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And over the last several weeks, we've talked about what does it mean to live a spirit-filled, spirit-led life? And that is a huge marker of living a renewed life, which has been our emphasis all years, to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And as you walk through chapter 8, we see Paul emphasize a lot of different things, that the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life is marked with freedom, it's marked with obligation, it's marked with that spirit of adoption and what it means to be known as his children and to ultimately be heirs, co-heirs with Christ, as he says there. And then last week, what we talked about was this this kind of uh, deviation from some of those main ministries of the Spirit where Paul elaborated even further on what it means to share in the sufferings of God or of Christ so that we can also share in his glory. And last week we talked about the future glory that is to be revealed, this, this glory that awaits creation, the glory that awaits the redeemed bodies, and how this all speaks to a very powerful hope, hope, yeah, see, and that, that was impromptu. I didn't even think about doing that. But anyway, but the hope that we have in Jesus, right? And, and so we've talked about that hope, and we talked about the power of that hope. And so now Paul comes back to uh, one of the final ministries of the Spirit that he refers to at least in chapter 8. And that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in verses 26 and 27. And to me, this is a great way to start the Advent season because of what it reminds us of and who our God is. And so follow along with me in chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. He says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. All right, so what you have here in verses 26 and 27, if I were just going to say the main point that to me speaks to the Advent season that we're going to try to really dive into to a greater extent this morning is a reminder that our God is a God who helps us in our weakness. Amen? I mean, that's what Advent is all about. It is a loving God who looks upon a weakened, broken, sinful people and refuses to leave us that way, but says, I'm going to help you in it. And so he takes on flesh and he dwells among us. Advent, Christmas, the birth of a Savior, of a Messiah, is all about understanding a God who says, I'm here to help you in your weakness. Now, what we discover in verses 26 and 27 is that that's actually a gift of the Spirit. It's one of the ministries of the Spirit. Specifically, what we're going to talk about is how the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. 
Right? That's the specific uh, work of the Spirit that Paul is referencing here. And the word intercede means to plead for, right? to, to help. Right? And, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about what does that mean and, and how is Paul explaining that here in this context. So he starts with this opening phrase in the same way. And when you read that phrase in the same way, it needs to connect us to the previous section where he has just now been talking about this hope for future glory. Right? And so part of what we see is that, that Paul is, is now about to tell us another way that we can find strength, patient endurance to manage suffering. Right? That's how he just ended. That if you share in the suffering, you hope for this future glory, then you can wait for it patiently with patient endurance. So in the same way, right, in the same way that hope carries you through, there's something else that's going to carry through. That the Spirit of God is going to help you in your weakness. So essentially what he's trying to communicate to us, I want to make sure that we understand this, is that when you have difficulty, when you have struggle, when you face suffering, you have more at your disposal than just hope. As important as it is, as critical as it is to understand the future glory that awaits and to trust in it and to believe in it and to understand it and to think upon it, that is not all you have. You have more. Right? God is doing more than just saying, don't worry, someday it'll all pass and it'll all be good. He's going to help you in your present circumstances. Right? It's not just about hoping for future glory, but finding sustainability in our current weakness. That's really what this passage is about. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the word help here uh, is really only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Luke 10 uh, uh, verse 40, which is the story with Mary and Martha. If y'all are familiar with that story where Martha's doing all the work and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus and so she's, you know, hustling around trying to get everything ready and eventually she gets frustrated and essentially looks to Jesus and says, would you please tell her to help me? And another way to, to kind of translate that in the fullness of its meaning is to say, would you please have her lend her aid to a specific task? And, and if we could kind of take that context to better understand maybe what is being referenced here in terms of the Spirit helping us, it's to understand that the Spirit comes to our aid with a specific task in mind, right? It, it is here, the Spirit helps you in your weakness, right? It is, it is coming to your aid. It is coming to you in this uh, immediate present circumstance. It's more than just hoping for the future, but understanding there is a present sustainability that, that God is going to provide by sending his spirit to come to your aid. And the weakness that is referenced here is, is not a specific or particular refer, uh, weakness, but it's really just the, the human condition. Right? It doesn't even necessarily, in my opinion, have to be uh, confined to suffering and to hardship, but just the reality that we are, we are not in our current glorified future revealed glory state, right? This is our current reality, our current weakened humanity. And in our current existence, the Spirit of God is coming to help us. And that is so powerful, right? And I, and I want to make sure that we understand that as we move into the Advent season, as we think about it in worship today, that, that God is doing more than just saying, hey, just hope for a better tomorrow. He says, okay, I'm going to meet you in your current state, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you in your present moment. So whatever burdens you brought in, whatever reality you carry, whatever your circumstances are today, God is mindful of them and he's here to help you and meet you in them. 
And so as powerful as that is to hear and to think about, we need to ask ourselves, how? Like, how does he help us in our present weakness? And that's where this reference to the Spirit interceding or pleading for us uh, begins to unfold. All right, so the Spirit then intercedes for us. And, and listen to how this works. The way that God provides you a level of sustainability, the way that God provides you some form of strength to meet you in your present moment is through prayer. Right, this, is, this is really a couple of verses that are about prayer. And I want us to connect the dots there, that the way we find strength and sustainability and find uh, the ability for the Spirit to meet us in our time of weakness is through prayer. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life? Like, just think about that for a moment. How, how would you describe your prayer life? When somebody says, how's it going in, in your commitment to prayer and what your prayer life looks like, how would you articulate that? Some of us in here, I mean, we would say it is vibrant, it is great. It is life-giving. Others of us in here would probably have to acknowledge that it's non-existent. Right? It's an afterthought, if even that. And part of what we need to recognize is that if we want to find strength, if we want to find the help of God, the ministry of the Spirit that intercedes for us in our present circumstances, if we want to do more than just hope for future glory, we have to be people who pray. Like That's where it takes place is in prayer. That's where the Spirit intercedes for us, pleads for us. Now, now look at what these verses uh, describe in terms of this prayer life, and I, I think this is really interesting. It says, even when we don't know what to pray for, and in the simpler translation there is really, it, it can be boiled down to just, even when we don't know what to pray. And, and I think this is an important phrase, because uh, when we talk about prayer this morning, when I ask you, how's your prayer life, I really don't want you thinking about it in terms of form and structure or frequency or duration. Uh, this question in particular, in these particular verses, drive us more towards content, right? So it's not like, well, I get up early in the morning or I pray for three hours or only pray in the car or only pray when I'm singing songs. This is, this is about content, what to pray. Like, wh what do you pray for? What, what goes on when you actually connect with the Lord, regardless of form or structure? And I think one of the reasons uh, that this phrase kind of connects with us and, and uh, resonates with us is because I think a lot of us would say, I don't know exactly what to pray for. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot that goes with those feelings or with those thoughts, even if we articulate them or not, that are one of the reasons we struggle with knowing what to pray for uh, it, I would probably suggest at least two factors in that consideration this morning. One would be that we oftentimes are just overwhelmed by our circumstances, right? We encounter something and we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to understand it. And, and literally we're so overwhelmed, we don't know what to pray. It's either too confusing, it's, it's too shocking, it's too tragic, it's too un, unknown. I mean, you think back to the pandemic and when that when that first began to unfold, I remember coming to the Lord and truly just being overwhelmed by everything that we were hearing. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't, I, I didn't know how to articulate all that. Like sometimes we don't know what to pray just because we're overwhelmed. We can't comprehend it, can't process it. I think another reason that we don't know what to pray a lot of times is because uh, there's a limited perspective. 
And so this would be maybe thinking about this phrase, not in the setting of, well, I, I got before the Lord and I just didn't know what to say, but literally more in, in line of thinking that maybe what I'm saying isn't what I should be praying for. Right? If you think about a lot of times what we bring before the Lord in our prayers, uh, we're, we're praying from a very limited perspective. We don't fully understand the whole picture. And so we're praying for things that maybe we shouldn't be praying for. And so we don't know really what to pray for because our perspective is skewed. It's limited. It's, it's not comprehensive. There's a lot of things that go into not knowing what to pray for. And so Paul is speaking uh, to how the Spirit works, not just in that moment, but in our prayer lives to demonstrate this gift of intercession. And, and it encapsulates even getting to that place where we don't know what to pray to the extent that there are wordless groans. Now, this is an interesting statement, and I want to make sure that we understand this um, as clearly as we possibly can for our discussion this morning. Because a lot of times, let me just offer a quick word of clarification here. There are times where people can read Romans 8, and we see this reference to wordless groans, and we associate it with speaking in tongues, right? And, and so I want to make sure that we kind of understand uh, what we're talking about here. This is not the same thing that is referenced here as a gift of speaking in tongues as it's referenced and described in 1 Corinthians 14. And the reason I would say that is because 1 Corinthians 14, uh, really it's, it's referencing a gift of the Spirit that is used in corporate worship, uh, oftentimes in reference to a different language where there's an interpretation that then edifies the whole body. This is prayer. This is more intimate. This is more private. It's, it's two very different things. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that when you read Romans 8, people don't have what could be considered and often is referred to as a prayer language, right? Where, where they truly just pray in the Spirit. It's, it's wordless groans. It's, it's another way to articulate it. And, and I do believe that for some people, that is how they pray. But that doesn't mean everyone has to pray that way, that everyone has to have a prayer language, right? The, the main point that I'm trying to say here is that this reference is for everyone, right? This is not a unique gift uh, that is often understood in 1 Corinthians 14 or just specific to prayer. This is for anyone, Right, The Spirit of God that intercedes for us in our time of prayer, even if that prayer is wordless groans, right, it is available to every single person. And so here's the main point that I think Paul is trying to make to help us understand what the Spirit is doing when we pray, is that the gift of the Spirit, when we're in that, that time of prayer, it's not like the Spirit all of a sudden gives you a gift of prophecy and you all of a sudden can see six months down the line and be like, okay, well, that's what's going to happen. Therefore, that's what I need to pray for. Right? Now I have my crystal ball and I can see where God is leading me and the Spirit has revealed it to me. So this is now how I'm going to pray. Nor does the Spirit just give you this eloquent speech where all of a sudden you can feel the Spirit of God because you can just speak so articulately and beautifully and powerfully and profoundly. That's not how the Spirit works. Those things may happen, but essentially what is being pointed out here is that even in those moments where you don't know what to pray, where you don't even know what to say, the Spirit of God is at work. Because what's happening here and what it's driving you to is dependence 
upon God. Right? That's really what I believe verses 26 and 27 are saying and, and what the Spirit is ultimately trying to teach your heart is to understand what does it mean to depend upon God and to trust him, to cry out to him as Father. And that that's the posture of your prayer life. See, I think one of the things that can happen, or several things that can happen to us in our prayer life, is we'll pray like children, but not like the innocent, dependent children, but more kind of the spoiled child. Right? Like, like Lord, give me this, and if he doesn't, then we complain. And we all can recognize how children do that. I mean, literally, I'm on Thanksgiving break. I think it's the day after Thanksgiving. We just woke up Friday morning. We had a full day of feasting and sugar and desserts and all this stuff. And, you know, and my mom's in there cooking a great breakfast and Wu comes in and he goes to this bag of candy that he got from playing a game uh, the day before and he pulls out an airhead and he's like, huh, can I eat? And I was like, for breakfast? He's like, yeah. And I was like, no, you can have candy for breakfast. And he's like, aw. And then he starts complaining. And, and I really feel like sometimes that's how we pray. Right? Like sometimes we come to God and we're like, can I have this? And God says, no. And we go, oh, and we get all upset about it. That's not dependence. That's not the right posture. Right? That's not the right heart. And, and so here's, here's something that I learned uh, several years ago that I tried to adopt and incorporate in my prayer life that to me kind of speaks to the sort of dependence that I think this, these verses are really after and what the Spirit is leading you to with just a reliance upon God. And, and I came across this uh, in reading a book about a, a movement that was taking place in East Asia. Uh, so I was a missions pastor. I was reading this book to really kind of grow in my understanding of how to supervise and oversee different missionaries that we had around the world. And if you are familiar with any movement that's ever taken place, like a, like a church planning movement or a revival that's broken out throughout the course of human history, every single one of them that I know of has its roots attached to prayer. Like, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever studied one that didn't start with prayer. And so when you read about these movements and you're like, hey, what, what'd they do here and how did this work and what was their strategy and you're trying to factor it all in, what you inevitably will come across is at least a chapter or two dedicated to prayer. So I'm reading this book about this movement in East Asia and it focuses then on this, this missionary and, and kind of what he did to ignite this movement and it naturally starts with his prayer life. And again, because of our discussion today, I'm not going to go into the form and the structure and how early he woke up and how long he prayed and all those different things that were very convicting. What, what really stood out to me and what I've since tried to incorporate in my own life that I offer to you as a suggestion that I think brings these verses to life is that he said that every morning when he wakes up and he gets down on his knees and he starts to pray, one of the first things he says is, Father, show me how to pray. I love that. Think about how different that is. Not, Father, can I have this? Why didn't you give me this? Father, show me how to pray. That's the prayer of a child who is dependent upon his father. That's the posture. That's what the Spirit of God wants you to do. 
is to come before the Lord with that sort of mindset that says, Lord, show me what to pray for. And when we embody that sort of dependence upon God, it gives us the strength to sustain us in our current weakness. Right? This is the gift of the Spirit, is that it helps us heart find that dependency upon God. And my fear is that this is a gift that too many of us too frequently neglect. That the Spirit of God is there waiting to sustain you in your current moment. To, to meet you in these intimate moments of prayer. And too many of us neglect it time and time again. Why would we neglect such a gift? It's, it's, it's kind of foolish to think about, right? Especially this time of year. We're coming on Christmas. And I know for sure, y'all, I mean, I, I watched my kids. I was a kid once too. When we, when we get to Christmas morning and those presents are out under the tree, like when, when we're going through that, my kids are figuring out like that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. They're grabbing them. And never as a child nor as I've watched my, child, my children have they said, you know, I don't need that one. Let me just leave that one under the tree. And they just move on and forget it. Like they are eager to open these gifts and to see what's in store for them. And too often, God has offered this gift of his spirit to meet us in prayer. And it's like us saying, you know what? I'll just leave that one under the tree. And we neglect it. We don't tend to our prayer life. We don't tend to what it means to actually meet God in these moments and to come in and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. And we need to grab that gift and we need to open it and see what the Spirit does when we meet him in those moments. Here's what the, the passage explains. Here's how the Spirit then intercedes for us when we demonstrate such dependency. It says the Spirit of God searches our hearts. And how great is that? Right? I mean, that, that's what's going to cure the child that comes before God and says, can I have this and complains when it's not met. Right? That what the Spirit does when we say, Father, show me how to pray, is we are inviting the Spirit of God to come in and search our hearts. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, search me, Lord, know me, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Invite the Spirit of God to search your heart, to teach you what to pray, to show you what it is that you really need, to trust that he understands the bigger picture than, and has a greater perspective than you ever will, that even if you're overwhelmed, he isn't. Search my heart, Lord. Show me how to pray. And as he searches our hearts, he's going to reveal things to us hey, this piece over here, you haven't surrendered this to me yet. This one right here, you're still holding on a little too tightly. This fear, right, this concern, you need to let go of that one. This resentment, this anger, this opportunity, like he's going to reveal things to us and we're gonna be able to submit ourselves, what does it say? Not to our will, but to his. Right, that as the spirit searches our hearts, it is all in accordance to God's will and not our own. And that's exactly what we need. We need to be searching and seeking for his will above ourselves. So, so essentially what the Spirit of God does, part of what helps us find help in our time of weakness 
is not by trying to figure out what we would do or how we would shape it or the plan that we have for our lives or the plan that we think would be better, but to seek out God's will for it all. And the more we understand God's will and the more that we depend upon it, the more we trust it, the more we invite it to search our hearts, the more we're going to find strength in our current circumstances. The more we're gonna see that we've been given a gift that goes well beyond just hope for a better tomorrow, but one that actually sustains us in our weakness. Because that's who our God is and that's exactly what he desires to do. And this, this works really well with Advent, if you ask me. Right, I mean, if you think about uh, the Advent season and, and so much of what it demonstrates is you have the people of Israel living in exile. Right, like you, you have them living in a weakened state, helpless. And, and I would imagine that if they were in the midst of that exile and in, that midst, in the midst of that weakened state, how many times they didn't know what to pray how many times they were overwhelmed or how many times they thought they knew what they needed, but because of their limited perspective, they didn't know what to pray. And that reveals itself, doesn't it? Even in the story of Jesus, because when there's this declaration that there is a Messiah, what they're praying for, what they're longing for, is a different sort of kingdom. The people of Israel had lost focus. They had, they had lost the sense of the will of God. They were wanting an earthly kingdom. They were wanting rescue for Rome. And what God was wanting for them was not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. Not to rescue them from Rome, but to rescue them from death. And so they were in this state. They were in this season. And they were, they were in this weakened set of circumstances. They didn't know what to pray. And then God comes and he helps them in their weakness taking on flesh, revealing himself as a newborn baby and walking among them. And look at what he does. Now, I mean, Jesus, throughout his ministry, he says the kingdom of God is near. Now, it's not fully here, but it's near. And so he doesn't come across the leper. He doesn't come across the blind man, the lame, the mute, and say, don't worry, one day future glory will be revealed. He heals them. He speaks to their present moment. And he says, yes, there is still future glory, but I'm here now because he's Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Advent is all about. That's what the Spirit of God does. So let me ask you again, church, how's your prayer life? And don't think about it from the standpoint of your form, your structure, but just your posture. Do you come before God with that sort of dependence, ready to open the gift of the Spirit to come in and to search your heart and to show you what to pray, to show you his will and to trust in it and to know that his will, even if you can't fully understand it, even if you can't fully put it to words, even there he gives you the strength to sustain you in your current circumstance. That's what the Spirit is here to do. That is what Advent is all about, is to be reminded that we have a God that meets us in our weaknesses. And so that's what I want to do this morning. That's how I want us to conclude our time. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come forward, and I'm going to ask that we just assume a posture of prayer for the next few minutes. And I want us to really live into this gift that has been provided to us 
through the Spirit of God. And to do so with the full assurance of what we've just read and what we've talked about, that this is an opportunity for us to encounter God in an intimate space, in an intimate moment, for him to see that he is here to help you with whatever you're facing, whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation. He is here to meet you in your weaknesses. So I'm going to ask that you go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, and just assume a posture of prayer. I want you to quiet your mind. I want you to quiet your heart. I want you just to be alone with the Lord for a moment. And before you say anything, I just want you to pray. Father, show me how to pray. Just say that to him. sit and listen before him for a moment. As you breathe in, invite the Spirit of God to search your heart. Search your mind, your soul. Just be still before him. Let the Spirit come to your aid. Spirit of God intercede for you. The Spirit of God plead for you. See that God has given you this gift. He's here to sustain you in your present moment. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation, He is here. He is God with us. cry out to him, Father, show me how to pray. I want us to take a moment to take that same prayer and move beyond the personal and into the communal. I want us to pray as a church family, as a community, recognizing that we are part of a larger body, a larger whole, bigger than just ourselves. And I want us as a church family to demonstrate that same dependence, that same desire for his gift. I just want you to ask, Father, show us how to pray. Ask for his spirit to come in and lead us as a community. To equip us, to strengthen us. To be bold and courageous. depend upon him above all else. Father, show us how to pray. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful 
for the gift of your spirit that comes and meets us, searches our hearts, and leads us to your will above our own. So Father, we eagerly open this gift and we receive it. We ask that it would change us and mold us and shape us. Search us, God, and know us. See our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within us and lead us in the way of everlasting. God, we are so grateful that you are a God that helps in our weakness. We are so grateful for a Savior who has come and has been laid in a manger to reveal that love. We thank you that he has come and we pray for him to come again. Meet us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.